Good morning. Welcome to December. So uh, it seems only right that we discuss the humble sprouts on the programme this week. I mean, last year we harvested over 150 million sprouts. I think this year, based on the extra acres that we'll have to harvest, we, we, we think we will aim to harvest about 165 million. Also, we'll get the latest from British Sugar on the beet campaign, and Kelly has the water quality update later as well. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello, it's the first week of December, and uh, we've started playing Christmas songs here on the radio. Chris Rear uh, will be setting off soon, driving home for Christmas, so uh, no better time than to visit sprout grower TH Clements. Indeed, they grow cabbages and cauliflowers as well as sprouts, so uh, given the year we've had, is it a good one for our festive veg? Chris Gedney, who's MD of TH Clements, will talk vegetables in a moment. First, though, let's go back to the beast from the yeast. Earlier in the year, the company was praised at this year's Snow Hero Awards. It's because um, you helped out dig out stranded vehicles, didn't you, Chris? Yes, we did, and uh, TH Clements were very proud of that. Uh, we were proud to uh, serve the community, um, get the uh, highways uh, back up and uh, passable for for every all the motorists. We uh, had a great uh, influence in opening the A52, um, and we also played a role in uh, opening uh, a difficult part of the A17 near Swineshead. It's worth remembering. I mean, as, as I was driving down here, I got behind one of your tractors with TH Clements on the back. But we shouldn't get frustrated because we need you when it's uh, snowing and we need that food, don't we? So, and it just proves that, that you know you are there for the community. We are there for the community, and this time of year is always adverse publicity because, unfortunately, we, could, we don't get out into the fields until daybreak, and it's often this time of year when everybody's going to work. So 7, 7 to 8 o'clock, we're often on the roads, which is unfortunate for uh, early commuters. Um, in the summer, you don't see us so much. We're a little bit less obtrusive because we're out and about early in the morning, so we're often arrived at the fields before everybody's sort of out and about uh, on their commute. Following the beast from the east, we got into the summer and the dry weather, and uh, you've got some facts and figures from a weather station actually here on site, haven't you? Yes, uh, everything's on facts and figures and climate <laughs> challenges and climate change, as we all hear. Uh, now the rainfall in... Uh, in March and uh, April, uh, according to our weather station here, was very high. It was the highest it's been for the last uh, 10, 12 years. So subsequently, we had a very, very wet spring, which then meant we had a late cold uh, spring. Um, so our plants went in at a wet time, which then subsequently, they think it's a lovely wet time, lovely moisture conditions. So they we, we had shallow rooting plants. But then, consequently, they went shallow rooting, and then we had the uh, we had the dry dry summer, which was uh, as hot uh, apparently um, as the hottest record summer on records uh, for 2018 compared to 1976. And what has happened subsequently is that our plants were shallow rooting, and they then we had lack of yield because they did they weren't able to go down to search for the moisture we were down we think yields have been roughly 25 to 30 percent down uh, on uh, harvested yields but at the same time through the hot weather we had lack of demand as well so maybe the demand and the yield coincided with each other which isn't great for our business but it's great to enjoy the summer and it's great for the people harvesting the product 
but it wasn't great for the guys who had to sell the product. As you say, demand was down. People were, because it was so hot, people weren't eating as much and weren't wanting the product as much. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, people uh, only think about vegetables when it's cold and uh, <laughs> sometimes that sort of thing, but often at a height, uh, in, a, in the height of the summer, like everybody, it's more fruit, uh, salads, beer and barbecues, I guess. We're now in the autumn. How's the, how has it been uh, since the, the dry summer? The autumn hasn't been too bad, has it? We've had some rain, but hopefully not too much. No, we haven't, no, we haven't had too much. No, it's been quite kind in that respect. Yeah. Um, the, the, because we've had the dry and the drought, um, it doesn't mean that all the consequences have disappeared. Um, we're still um, going to go through the winter with lower yields on uh, a lot of the main crops that we, uh, we, we harvest. And I would think that a lot of the crops right the way through until next the end of next May, we'll still have the effects of the drought from the summer um, because it's not until we plant early in the spring, which is then June production, that we would get back to a normality uh, situation. It's that time of year, uh, approaching Christmas time. Hmm. Sprouts, of course, huge this time of year. Everyone loves sprouts, he says, sarcastically. Everybody says they don't, but they still eat them. Um, we sometimes read of, you know, oh, because of the weather, we're going to have a sprout shortage, there's going to be problems, there won't be enough sprouts for our Christmas dinner. That's not the case, is it? We've got um, some delayed production on uh, Brussels sprouts, so that consequently, I think, we'll harvest more acres to get the same amount of uh, tonnage. Um, we grow about 1,000 acres of uh, Brussels sprouts, and in, 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 in millions terms, I mean, last year we harvested uh, over 150 million sprouts. I think this year... Based on the extra acres that we'll have to harvest, we, we, we think we will aim to harvest about 165 million. So still a lot to do, still a lot of sprouts that will get delivered to those plates um, for those people who love them and even for the people who hate them, I'm afraid. As you say, yields are down, but your increased acreage means that you can grow yeah. more. Yes, that's right. I mean, the, the reason we've got the increased acreage uh, for Christmas is because we've got the uh, delay from the uh, from the dry summer. So um, our harvesters this year, or our 21 harvesters, harvesting machines we expect to be out there, will be going a lot longer to try and deliver the um, the extra uh, tonnage that we need to need to do to deliver. Quality is the quality good? Quality is great. They're lovely and sweet. Uh, the taste tests we've had so far, they're eating really well. We've had two or three cooking tests uh, in our kitchens here, uh, and so far they've, they've, they've been uh, well received. That's Chris Gedney. He's Managing Director of TH Clements, talking sprouts and the weather. Next week on the programme, we're talking a bit more about climate change with a couple of guests, and indeed we'll hear a little bit more from Chris as well with his views on how agriculture needs to face the climate challenge ahead. That's next week. Back to this week. And someone who loves his sprouts, it's our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Yes, good morning, Sean. No, I absolutely love sprouts. I don't know really why people don't like them. They're wonderful things. Um, And actually, we've got a herbicide in agriculture called triallate granules, avidex granules. And that goes through a process called sublimation, which means it goes from a solid to a gas without passing through the liquid phase. And I believe that Brussels sprouts do exactly the same thing. Right, let's move on to agronomy then. 
This is going to get shorter and sweeter in the run-up to Christmas. Very, very damp out there in the field, although not particularly wet in the soil profile. Remember the dry summer we've had. Remember how we're going to need to fill these reservoirs. It may well be sticky on the top of these fields, which it definitely is, and that's because we've created a lot of dust in that top tilth because we've had a dry drilling autumn. As soon as you get five, six, seven mils of rain on that, it turns to porridge, and that's why it's so sticky on the top. But when you see people ploughing down to a depth of eight or ten inches and that soil down there is bone dry you realize just what the deficit is in some of these fields now as we said last week the deficit has reduced somewhat with the wet weather we've had over the last seven to fourteen days or so so that means that soils are getting to be wet enough to apply propizomide products um, and the soil temperature fell enough with that prolonged period of cold weather where we had threes and four degrees in the day even though now towards the end of this week we're getting back up into the 12s and 13 that soil temperature down at 30 centimeters has reduced enough to be falling and to be at the right sort of temperature now it's obviously bad practice to go and apply anything herbicide wise or fungicide wise on any field if it is standing in water so stay out of those fields we don't want propizomide to get into the water course that's why we have stewardship and that's why we don't really want to apply things like propizomide, carbetamide while drains are running. Now at the moment drains are few and far between running. I've got people draining fields with new drainage systems and normally when you do that you find the water running out of the end of the new drain before you've finished fitting it and there's just nothing coming out of these drains at the moment. So very very dry underneath and of course the other thing to remember as well is there's a lot of harvesting going out there, potatoes, sugar beet, sprouts, brassicas in general are all being harvested now so there's a lot of traffic on the road of agricultural machinery and just bear in mind when you're stuck behind a tractor as you're driving up the road in the middle of the day just remember it was these fellows that were the heroes of last winter by pulling people out of snowdrifts and keeping the roads clear so just give them a bit of leeway the reason they're on the roads is to put your Christmas dinners on the table so just spare a thought for that and if you're going to wave at them use all five fingers on your hand not just a couple of them now oilseed rape as we go back out into the field again we are seeing that level of disease still staying high um, so fungicides are quite important out there at the moment particularly with the weather conditions which is conducive to the spread of those diseases and also we're starting to see the effects of cabbage stem flea beetle larvae now in the stems we're seeing cabbage root fly out in the field there's nothing you can do about them absolutely nothing if you've got fields of rape that are full of cabbage stem flea beetle larvae cabbage root fly the, the best thing you can do is put a flock of sheep on the field for the cabbage then flea beetle larvae because they'll eat them and take them off there is nothing chemically or insecticidally that you can do to make a difference to those fields cereals still finding a few aphids but actually they're not winged they're very small colonies they're not getting any bigger than they were pick your fields remember there is an opportunity to top up that pre-emergence herbicide should you need to do so but as things go slower and slower now as things get cooler and cooler wetter and wetter the the weather becomes more inclement the days get shorter growth's going to slow down things are unlikely to get an awful lot worse out there in the field than they are now but if you've got a distinct nutrient deficiency so if you've got manganese magnesium on all seed rape if you've got boron molybdenum zinc you can correct those things by putting a trace element in with the fungus so not an awful lot happening at the moment apart from the weather which is always happening it is indeed thanks sean sean sparling of sparling agronomy services you'll have noticed it was a bit windy there maybe that's just the sprouts though i'm saying nothing
Hello, if you're at the Crop Tech on Wednesday and Thursday at the East of England showground, it's another of those events that's getting bigger and better every year, isn't it? Helped this year by the weather with uh, Storm Diana bringing wind and rain, so uh, off the farm and into the showground instead. Ironic, really, given it was uh, wind and rain at the start of the year that forced the second day of Lama to be cancelled there, but I guess that's the advantage of being inside the halls for Crop Tech. Now, someone who was at CropTech, uh, Kelly Hewson-Fisher, she was there on the Anglian Water Stand, and here she is now with our water quality update. Good morning. Following the rainfall from the 19th of November, Anglian Water saw levels of a number of pesticides increase, such as metaldehyde. Other pesticides include prosulfocarb, in, for example, Defy, quinmarac, in, for example, catamaran turbo, and carbetamide, in, for example, crawler. With the rain we have had this week and are due next week, it is likely we will see some more carbetamide and propizamide in, for example, curb come through. As I mentioned a fortnight ago, Anglian Water currently have a pesticide amnesty running. It is for farms in a specific area, so if you have any pesticides you would like to get rid of, please contact either myself on 07802 856663 or David Brown at ChemClear Limited on 07436 076932 to check if you are eligible. Did you know that a significant proportion of pesticide load can come from a yard? We have worked with farmers to develop a drip tray to collect any drips and spills you have when filling. You are able to get hold of one of these by tweeting a photo of where you are and tag AW Coast and Country, and we'll pick our favourite. As always, and as a reminder, please check if your land is in a surface water or groundwater safeguard zone by using the What's in Your Backyard website. Thank you, and I'll be back in a fortnight with another water quality update. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, Kelly Hewson Fisher. Time for an update on the beat campaign. Nick Morris has the latest from British Sugar. Hello, Nick. Morning, Sean. How are things? The uh, crop coming well? Yeah, yeah, we're doing really well and uh, I think it's fair to say we're now just getting a nice steady trickle of uh, rain from one week to the next. Conditions remain pretty mild. I'm sure we've all had uh, an open fire now, but generally things are still quite mild and we're even getting a bit of sunshine. So harvesting conditions are very, very good and uh, we're seeing some nice root growth and um, a continuation of that really good sugar content which we've uh, been experiencing so far this campaign. So in terms of crop recovery, uh, we're now reaching that stage where growers will be starting to want to lift uh, with the purpose of storing the crop until it can get delivered by their their haulier. But there will still be some just-in-time operations uh, continue throughout uh, December. So we're now nine weeks into campaign, and that's uh, what I expect to be around 40% of the way through. And at this time, at the end of this week, we've now got 70% of growers have started their campaign. So still 30% haven't lifted or delivered a single sugar beet yet. The quality, which of course is really important to us, uh, still remains to be very, very good. Average dirt tear is only 4.1%. It's up 0.3% since I was on here three weeks ago. But again, that's just slightly a function of uh, of the bit of rain we've had since. And also, average sugar content remains at 18%. Um, that's actually been diluted a little bit um, over this last week. We had some rain on Tuesday and Wednesday, which will just dilute the sugar content by about uh, 0.1, 0.2% over the, uh, the last few days. But I don't expect it to uh, uh, impact it significantly, and I'm sure it will hold around 18% for some time yet. 
We've now got 76 contracts that have already finished their campaign and they're now averaging 63.5 tonnes a hectare and that is up 1.5 tonnes a hectare since uh, my last report three weeks ago as I uh, forecasted and I will expect to see that continue throughout the rest of the campaign. In terms of the crop, pretty good news. We were, you know, given the drought that we had over the summer, we certainly weren't expecting anything too uh, incredible and uh, we weren't being overly optimistic or ambitious but it's a lot better than we expected, without a doubt. And getting some really positive reports from growers in terms of the crops that they're they're harvesting. So, overall, we're we're, we're delighted with that. Uh, we're less delighted with, however, uh, the uh, recent breakdown we've experienced in the factory on the twentieth of November, and this affected our tower diffuser. Now we've got two tower diffusers in our factory, and basically they're very very large vertical vessels, and they act as our teapot so we take our chopped up sugar beet and we put them in these vertical towers and they make their way from the bottom up to the top and hopefully by the time they reach the top the sugar is now no longer in the chopped up sugar beet and is in the hot water for us to then extract to turn into sugar. Uh, So within these vessels there's a hundred ton central shaft, very very heavy, very very big bits of uh, engineering equipment Uh, Now we've got a gearbox at the top which rotates the vessel. The gearbox then connects to the shaft and at the bottom of the shaft is a pedestal with a bearing assembly and that's uh, obviously affixed to the concrete on the floor. Um, Unfortunately the bearing on the pedestal uh, collapsed and um, caused quite a significant amount of damage including to the uh, central shaft within the diffuser itself. So that's currently undergoing um, some machining uh, to prepare it for for the rebuild. But before we could get anywhere near it, of course, the vessel has to be emptied. Uh, Once it's cooled down, it has to be emptied and dug out uh, before it can be repaired. So it is a major, major engineering task, and uh, thankfully it's going very well. Um, We do anticipate uh, on having that completed by the end of today. Uh, so uh, fingers crossed everything uh, will continue on that path but with anything as serious or uh, significant as that it does carry some challenges and potential risks to the schedule and timeline because uh, you know you can't foresee everything uh, and we do get challenges along the way so fingers crossed that will be complete by the end of today and we can start to refill that tower get it back up to temperature and then bring the factory back online to full capacity. So being as we've been only running on 50% capacity uh, since last Tuesday, um, we've obviously required fewer deliveries from growers and hauliers over that time, so they have been impacted, so we're, we're, we're very sorry for that, but uh, I think everybody understands, unfortunately, these things do happen, and uh, several people have said to me, nothing ever breaks when it's not working, be it a combine harvester or a factory, and it's very true uh, when you think about it, so it's just uh, typical and... Uh, unlucky that it didn't happen at the start of campaign when we only had enough sugar beet to supply the factory at around 80% of uh, throughput. could have happened then, it would have been a lot easier, but never mind. So just to uh, say, because of that and because of the limited beet supply at the start of campaign, our factory is now averaging 8,400 tonnes a day. So once we get the repair in place, I really hope and I'm confident that that will increase quite quickly uh, thereafter. So hopefully next time uh, I'm on your show, Sean, I'll be able to tell you that all went smoothly, happened well, and we're back up to capacity. Let's hope so. We'll chat in a couple of weeks' time, just before Christmas. Thank you, Nick Morris from British Sugar. Right, let's move on to the latest from Open Field. Jerome Fielder has the news this week. This week, markets traded within a narrow window, and May futures were down £1 on the week. 
Looking at wheat markets, fundamental news has been hard to come by this week, apart from a bit of Russian news we've all heard before, Argentine harvest progress and the Australian drought, which has turned into a rain deluge, which is less than ideal. So what is the market focusing on? Well, it's predominantly politics, including the upcoming G20 meeting for signs of progress in the US-Chinese trade war, the repercussions of a no-deal Brexit, particularly the effect it will have on currency, and the renewed spat between Russia and the Ukraine in the Kerch Strait. Now, for those who don't know, exports pass through the Kerch Strait from both Russia and the Ukraine, and any conflict could significantly affect these grain exports. These political issues could have a significant influence on the price direction going forward, and with prices close to recent lows, the risk is to the upside. However, on a more bearish tone, the EU's export figures came out on Friday, and exports were down by 30% year-on-year, which suggests that time could be running out for a price rally as Russia continued to swallow up demand. Looking at the UK market, wheat prices have been supported by a lack of fresh physical supply and short covering of December positions, in anticipation that farms will close mid-December until the new year. Feed wheat premiums over the futures are on the increase, despite a lack of notable demand by consumers who remain wide open. Questions are being asked about the size of the UK crop, and rumours that the Ensus ethanol plant will reopen in the new year. In the meantime, a combination of lower prices and weaker sterling has made UK wheat competitively priced for export. Now we're looking at the oilseed rate market. Well, the oilseeds market seems to be unable to detach itself from the soybean story. With the Brazilian harvest only a few weeks away and thought on paper to meet China's demand, the burgeoning stores in the US are putting pressure on oilseed rate prices. The UK oilseed rate price is largely affected by currency, with buyers shrugging off news of the condition on the oilseed rate crop in the ground. This includes the reduced area planted, followed by the dry weather issues and flea beetle attacks. However, the drop in crude oil values have reduced demand in the short term. Currency swings will be important to monitor as a vote in Parliament on the Brexit deal approaches. Looking at feed barley, pre-Christmas is pretty much sorted and we're at export parity and just waiting for New Year demand. Malting barley premiums are at 5 to £10 for winter malting varieties and between £23 and £30 for spring malting varieties. Now for your ex-farm values. Feed wheat for January 19 is between £163 and £168 ex-farm, depending on location, with a pound carry per month. November 19 prices, you're looking at £150 to £155 ex-farm, depending on location, again with a pound carry per month. Feed barley for Jan 19, it's £160 to £165 ex-farm, depending on location, with again with a pound carry per month. And for November 19, it's approximately £140, again, depending on location, with a pound carry per month. All seed rate prices vary between £318 and £322, depending on location, for January 19. And for November 19, it's about the same, at £318 to £323. For milling wheat, the premiums vary between £8 to £12, again, depending on location. For any inquiries, please call your local open field farm business manager for any prices.
Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Jerome. That's Jerome Fielder at Open Field. Now, meteorologically, did you know winter has started? It started yesterday. So what does the first week of December have in store for us weather-wise? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, quite a changeable week, quite turbulent at times as well. We've got this uh, low pressure, which will start the week hanging over the North Sea. As for today, some sunshine to start, but it will cloud over with perhaps some rain to come. Eight the high, the wind from the south southwest at about five miles an hour. That wind getting up overnight tonight with that low pressure in the North Sea. From the southwest, west-southwest come early tomorrow, 15 gusting at 30 miles an hour. Some rain, overnight lows of around 10. Tomorrow, patchy cloud. We've got highs of 12. That wind continuing from the west-southwest between 15 and 30 miles an hour. And then some clear skies pushing temperatures down, maybe 4 or 5 Celsius to start Tuesday. It should be dry with the wind more from the northwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Tuesday itself, staying dry but cloudy, cold as well, 6 the high, the wind from the north at about 5 miles an hour. And then at the moment, a heavy band of rain expected Tuesday into Wednesday overnight. The wind from the southwest, 15, maybe gusting at 35 miles an hour for a time, with uh, overnight lows of around 9 Celsius. And then a little cooler again through Wednesday, further rain, 7 the high, some sunshine to come in the afternoon, the wind from the north at about 20 miles an hour. Then the jet stream will start to move from the north by the end of the week. That does mean a calmer but colder end to the week, uh, particularly next weekend. But we'll uh, keep a check on that with the hourly forecasts. For now, that is the forecast. Uh, The weather is the subject of next week's programme as well. We're debating climate change. Uh, More from Chris Gedney at TH Clements. And we're going to be joined by Oliver Dowding. He's a member of the Green Party, but also himself a farmer. So knows only too well of the challenges being faced in the industry. I'm not against meat-eating, which some of the people are saying we should be. I'm perfectly happy with grass-fed reared meat. That's next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.